Well, again, good morning to you. Hope uh, your day is off to a, a great start so far. Um, I am going to start by um, complaining <laughs> about you. Not all of you, just some of you, and you'll know who you are. I try to, you know, hang out before service. I try to visit and talk and be present. And most of the time, you all have no desire to talk with me about Duke basketball. Nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> Until a week, they lose. Twice. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants to bring it up. And that's just, that's not right. That's hurtful. And um, I, I, as many of you know, uh, in addition, those of you that attend and to be a Duke basketball fan, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. So, they play today. I see some of that Packer green. I hope you are very sad at the end of today. But, as you have shown me, the meanness in your hearts, if I am sad at the end of the day, I'm not coming next week. So, uh, I'm just... Uh, I also see the Clemson Orange out there today. I, my word of advice, I said, I, I, as we were talking before, I have a, a cousin who is a Clemson grad, and she was at the game, and she was very happy, and, and as I said to her, and I say to you Clemson people, I just hope you will, um, in victory, model the same humility and grace I have exhibited over the years when Duke <laughs> has won national titles, and uh, no, I, I hope you're enjoying that, it's fun, it's a fun, fun time if you're a sports fan, if you're not, then you just grin and bear it. I know that's kind of the way that goes. Not everybody is, but it is, it's been a, a fun week. This morning, uh, turn to, in our Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 12, if you want to, uh, to get there and follow along. It's, the verses are 4 through 10. I'm going to break that into two, uh, two sections this morning. We're going to read through verse 6 in a few moments, and then we'll, we'll pick up with the, uh, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Uh, afterward, but, but there's a, a theme, kind of a driving image in our worship this morning you've probably picked up on. If you don't, you will. And that is um, chains. And um, the image, as it connects to the story, will become a very obvious, very apparent. But I was, as you do, thinking about this kind of imagery, these chains that, that we use for a variety of, of purposes, come in different sizes, different weights, uh, different kind of uses, but, but what is the overall purpose of a chain? What's a chain function for? What's that? To bind. What else? Sorry? To imprison. Yeah, that, that plays directly into our text this morning, to imprison. What else? To lock up. Bring, yeah, that's right. You can use it. You use it as a, as a toe. I, as a whip, Ooh. it could be, come here, the, you, you trust me, that's your first mistake, you know, we think about, somebody brought up the, you know, the image in uh, A Christmas Carol of Bob Cratchit, you know, with the chains around his neck, chains, I, I was thinking, if I was trying to kind of simplify that, the purpose of a chain is so that you can, Whatever you use it on, however you, whatever you bind or, or tie or contain, stays where it's supposed to stay. 
you know, you, you chain when I was a kid, and I'm sure still today, and we rode our bikes everywhere. We had bike chains, and the idea was that when you chained your bike up, it would be in that place when you came back to get it. That was certainly the hope. Uh, if you chain something down on a trailer, the intention is so that it stays right where it is. It cannot escape its reality, its, its location, its place. And that has a lot of positive purposes. But chains in the same way can have very negative purposes. When they chain people or things in places that they don't want to be or, or even shouldn't be. And so it carries very little and very spiritual and very emotional truths. And that's what we're going to, uh, that's what we're going to kind of explore for a few moments this morning. And so we start with a very, um, very obvious story about chains. And it's Peter's story, or one of Peter's story, in Acts chapter 12. Now, here's a little bit of the, the setting to set the stage here. Peter is being imprisoned in this by Herod. Remember last or a couple weeks ago when I talked about Herod, I said Herod's power, Herod was a, a puppet king. He was empowered by the Roman Empire, but as most kings have um, authority and dominion, Herod didn't. He had to do what Rome wanted him to do. And the, the rulers there of, of the, the, the nation, their prime objective was to keep people in line, to basically minimize the headaches that Israel posed to Rome. Israel could be a real pain, a thorn in the flesh, if you will, because there was constant revolts and constant pushback against um, Rome's authority and power. And so Herod's power, his his comfort, um, his authority was tied to keeping people in line. So anytime threats to that emerged, they were a problem for Herod. And this new Christian community was a problem for Herod. Not because they threatened the political kingdom, but because they, they threatened the religious stability in some ways. They had this new understanding of what it meant to, to follow the, the way of God, what Messiah meant. And it caused contention within the, the Jewish community, which was the backbone of, of the nation. So, so Herod had a problem with that. And so just prior to this, these verses, James has been arrested and James has been executed. Now, Peter has been arrested, and this is what we pick up at verse 4. It says, after arresting him, he, being Herod, put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two trains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that you would um, open our hearts to, to hear from you today, that you would speak truth to us, that you would speak truth through your word, through these words spoken, and that we would be shaped by your call upon our lives and your purpose for our lives. We pray that now in Christ Jesus. Amen. Many of you know, some of you don't, but, but many of you that have been here know a few years ago I had the opportunity to, uh, to go to China, talked a lot about it um, in the, the weeks that followed that trip. 
Uh, our trip there uh, started in Beijing, and we had an opportunity in our days there in, in Beijing to visit a number of the, the districts uh, of Beijing, parts of the, of the city, if you will, and see significant sites as well as some of the work that, that God was doing through the church there. Uh, but one of the districts that we did not go to is a district called Changping. Changping uh, is in the, the northwest part of Beijing. It is about 3,000 feet above sea level, and it is surrounded by a pretty um, desolate valley. There's really not a lot in Changping that would draw a tourist to go. In fact, the most significant thing about the Changping district of China is that it is where the Quinchang uh, prison is located. The Quinchang prison. Now, why is a prison significant? Well, the Quinchang prison is listed on every list I pulled as one of the top ten um, inescapable prisons in the world. I think if we probably put it into a, a context that most of us can identify with, it was kind of like Alcatraz. You know, that, that reputation that once you are in, you are not getting out unless you are released. Uh, it is, as I said, located there, surrounded by this desolate valley, so there's not a lot of places to go if you escape. Uh, there are, I think, it's hard to get estimates because obviously the Chinese government doesn't share a whole lot of information. Uh, but, but by some counts, there are about 2,000 prisoners in Quinchang. There are 5,000 guards. So when you go in, unless they release you, you don't come out. And, and the significance of Quinchang is that this is where political prisoners are held, the, the, the enemies of the state, if you will. In 1989, during the, uh, the revolt in Tiananmen Square, the, the, the revolution that was at least attempted by many young people for democracy, and you remember the imageries and the massacres, that had happened there, many of the leaders of that attempted revolution were imprisoned in Quinchang. So it was really not a place any of us wanted to see uh, when we went to China because the reality is when you find yourself there, as in maybe Alcatraz or other places, you find yourself in a very hopeless situation, literally chained and contained in a situation you have very little hope of, um, of escape from. That's where Peter finds himself today. In Acts chapter 12, that's the reality of, of what Peter is experiencing. He has been arrested by Herod. He's already seen what Herod has done to his friend James. He knows the, the ruthlessness of Herod. And he has no reason to believe this is a situation he has any hopes of escape from. He is chained and contained. For sets of four soldiers guard him. Sixteen soldiers for one prisoner. He's chained between two guards and there's sentries at the door. I mean, there, there's just no way out of this situation. He is locked down in a place he can't get out of. Now, most of us don't know that kind of a reality. Most of us. Maybe your story d does contain that. Maybe you do know what it's like to be physically in prison. But most of us don't know that kind of, a, of, a, of an imprisonment. But the reality is we start to make connections today. We know what it's like to be chained down. All of us at some level know what it's like to feel the weight of chains. They just come in different forms. In fact, most often they're not seen. They're not something we can tangibly hold or show. But it's the emotional chains that are heaped upon us. 
It's the spiritual chains that we, that we take on. It is the, the, the result of, of failed aspirations or broken relationships or, or, or inability to, to live into hopes and plans. It can just happen in any number of emotional, spiritual, and relational ways that we become chained. We become in places, places of, of darkness and imprisonment that we have very little hope of escape and of freedom and of liberation. That's where Peter is. That's where sometimes we find ourselves. So let's read the rest of the story. And remember, we're not exploring this as a focus this morning, but don't lose sight of that important statement in verse, um, verse 5 that says, while he was in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him church was praying for him and then in verse 7 this is what it picks up it says suddenly an angel of the lord appeared and a light shone in a cell in the cell he struck peter on the side and woke him up i I love that language doesn't say he nudged him doesn't say he shook him he struck him how many got teenagers that know what it's like to try to wake him up you know that's kind of what i what i think you know peter was out He struck him and woke him up. And he said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that that what the angel was doing was really happening. Okay, get You've been there where you wake up and you're not sure if you're awake or you're sleeping? That's where Peter is. He doesn't even know this is really happening. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. The key verse there is the chains fell off his wrist. Peter is very literally liberated here. Now, the story goes on. I really encourage you to go read it because it's great. You've got to look for humor in the scriptures. And, one of, and what follows is one of the great scenes, I think, in, in the book of Acts because Peter goes back to where the, the believers are gathered and he knocks on the door and he cries out and they hear his voice, the woman, I can't remember her name, who goes to the door and hears Peter's voice and she can't believe it's Peter and she runs back to tell the other disciples and the other believers. She doesn't open the door. You know, she leaves Peter out there banging on the door. She can't believe it's real because you don't expect this. So she goes and gets the others. Poor Peter's just broke out of prison and he's standing in the street waiting to be let in. That's kind of they came and said, hey, maybe we should let him in first. Then we'll talk about it. Um, and that's what happens. And, and, but because they just, they don't believe it. Peter experiences liberation, freedom. And this image, this this. This story of, of physically being freed, of chains falling off, becomes so powerful for us in so many significant ways because we find ourselves chained and, and locked down and contained in places that we desperately want to be free of. And God's message to us is exactly that message of hope and, and liberation and, and the removal of those things that bind us just like they did for Peter. We get the chance to experience that same freedom that Peter experienced. Now, if you're a skeptic, you may be thinking, okay, sure, that makes sense for Peter, right? I mean, 
Peter was important. Peter was significant. Peter was a disciple, one of the first disciples chosen. Peter was the, the preacher on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's Peter that's out in the street preaching the message of salvation. And Peter was somebody. In fact, you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, when, when Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. You think, yeah, that's Peter. Peter was chosen. Of course God would liberate him. Peter was chosen. But hear me say this. Hear the scriptures say this. You're chosen. You are chosen. In fact, Paul writes something about that. Somebody who knows what it's like to be chosen from very um, unexpected circumstances as a persecutor of the church, not the person we would have chosen. Paul knows what it's like to be chosen. He says at the beginning of Ephesians, he says, praise be to God, this is verse 3, praise be to God our Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Hear this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us before the creation of the world in him to be holy and blameless within his sight. The message says that when God created the world, the message translation, when God created the world, he did so with you and me in mind. Okay? Think about that. And personalize that. Yeah, Peter was chosen, but so are you. Paul says, for he chose us. Hear that. He chose me. He chose you. We two are chosen. And we need to claim that as part of the identity of who we are. It would be an interesting exercise if you're really honest and I said, write down on a piece of paper, just for your eyes, the, the, the words you would use to describe yourself. Because it says a lot about the potential chains you may carry. Because I know through conversations after conversations, sometimes in those statements, people will put things like failure, rejected, unloved, broken, wounded, disappointment. Those become the weight. It becomes the burden. It becomes the chains. I wonder how many of us would start with the word chosen. Chosen. That's what Paul says. You were chosen. I was chosen before the creation of the world by the one who created it. We need to claim that with confidence. Claim that with confidence. Speaking of confidence, I, uh, I listened to a story this week told um, by Fran Tarkington. Many of you remember Fran Tarkington, the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, 18 years in the NFL, Hall of Famer, four Super Bowls. If you're a sports fan, you know who Fran Tarkington was. He would go on and, and for many years has been a speaker and has done very well in life, the son of a, a preacher. I'm also somebody who's never had a shortage of self-confidence especially when it came to his ability athletically as a, as a quarterback. Well, you may or may not know, Fran Tarkington was a, uh, before he was in the NFL, he was a college quarterback at the University of Georgia. Fran Tarkington was a bulldog. God bless him. And um, <laughs> he, uh, he started his second season at Georgia. Freshmen weren't allowed to play back then, so he started as a sophomore. He, he was a sophomore, and on that team, 1958, he was a third-string quarterback. 
There were two quarterbacks on the depth chart ahead of him that were both juniors. And by his own words, he had very little hope of ever seeing the field. Even though, by his own words, he was better than both of them. (laughs) But he had very little chance of playing. But that did not diminish his sense of confidence and of who he was. And on September 20th, 1958, the University of Georgia played the University of Texas. And during that entire game, Fran Tarkenton stood right next to the head coach at Georgia, Wally Butts. Stood right next to him the whole time, peppering him. Coach, quarterback is getting tired. Quarter, coach, quarterback, he, he's getting tired. You, you need to replace him. You need to get somebody new in there. Georgia wasn't doing so well. And all game long, with no hope that he was going to be put in. Third quarter, Georgia's losing 7-0. University of Texas punts the ball. Georgia gets pinned deep in its own territory. Fran Tarkenton decided it was his time. And he ran onto the field. (laughs) Wally Butts did not put him into the game. He ran onto the field. The starting quarterback saw him go and thought to himself, he's been standing next to the coach the whole time. Coach must have put him in. (laughs) So he takes charge of the Georgia offense, knowing that if this doesn't work, his career's over. It's done right here. It says the entire drive, he would not look at the sideline. Georgia had not, not only were they losing 7-0, they hadn't gotten a first down the entire game. And he begins to drive the offense down the field, culminating in a touchdown. Georgia's down (laughs) 7-6. Coach, because Fran Tarkington can quit, coach sends out the kicker to tie the game. Tarkington sends the kicker back so they could go for two. (laughs) And they made it. And as he says, the rest is history. He says, that moment doesn't happen. That score doesn't happen. That drive doesn't happen. My career doesn't happen. But he had supreme confidence in who he was. Now, that takes tremendous amount of uh, guts. (laughs) Most of us wouldn't do that. But, But what I want you to hear is the need for us to have that same kind of confidence in who we are, in our identity. God says, you are chosen. You are chosen. So, we are chosen. What does it mean to be chosen? Well, Paul actually continues to talk about that in Ephesians 1. Let me read one more verse from there, verse 7. It says, In him who has chosen us, that's my words, in him who has chosen us, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean to be chosen? It means that through Christ we are forgiven. It means that through Christ, the chains of our, of our mistakes, of our sin, of our shortcomings, the things that, that bind us, like Peter with those wrists, they are released through the gift of Jesus. It no longer defines who you are. We are forgiven because we are chosen. Now see, it's interesting, and I think it's, it's reasonable to, to look at the story of Peter in Acts chapter 12 and think, wow, this is the first time Peter got to experience his chains being loosed. But I actually believe this is the second time Peter experienced what it felt like for his chains to be loosed. But the other time it was very, very different. There was no literal prison story the first time. But it happened in a way that many of you are very familiar with. You remember arrogant Peter? Remember very self-confident Peter? Remember Peter and Jesus before he was arrested and crucified when Jesus said, you will betray me? Remember what Peter said? Not me. Not me. I won't. I won't betray you. Even if I have to die with you, 
I won't deny you. And then what happens on the night of Jesus' arrest and his trial? How many times? Three. Three times he's asked, don't you know him? Aren't you with him? Three times he denies him. And it says, after the third denial, the, the, the cock crowed. And Peter ran and he wept. And he wept because in a moment he took on a new identity. New failure. Denier. Abandoner. He had done the very thing he promised Jesus he wouldn't do. And then he watches Jesus die from a distance, a great distance. Well, the rest of the story. You know, Jesus in resurrected glory, comes to the disciples, and then he gets word to the disciples, meet me in Galilee. And so if you remember, there at the end of John, they're in Galilee, and they're fishing, and like, I don't know, I don't think it was so hard for these guys to follow Jesus, because they were lousy fishermen. Every time we read about them, they ain't catching nothing. You remember that? And, and, and the voice on the shore says, throw the net on the other side. This has happened before. This should have been a, an immediate clue. They do. They haul in the catch. It says they go to the shore and they have breakfast with Jesus. Remember that conversation? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. He said, feed my sheep. But once wasn't enough. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Again, Peter, Jesus, you know I do. Tend to my lambs. And a third time, don't miss the significance of a third question. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I do. Feed my lambs. Why? It was a moment in which Jesus is unshackling those chains. What's Peter's identity? I have failed you. I betrayed you. I denied you. And Jesus reminds him, no, no, no. Your identity is you will serve me. Your identity is you will serve me. You are still chosen. You are still the rock. You are still mine. Those sins, yeah, they're real. And it would forever shape him. It wouldn't forget it, but it wouldn't define him. You're forgiven. That's what Jesus says to us. You are chosen. You are forgiven because we all carry that. And this is why that matters. Because our past doesn't define us anymore. Your past, your mistakes, yours, they don't define you. It's part of your story. But Jesus gives you the opportunity to let those chains go. See, but that's our problem. I think, like Peter, those chains are loose, but too many of us, just, we don't let go. We carry him around. All right, Jesus, I'm going to come with you, but let me bring this with me. Let me bring these with me. This is, these are my mistakes. This is my brokenness. This is that failed relationship, or that missed opportunity, or that pain, or that hurt, or that sorrow, or that grief. Let me just, I, I, let me just bring this with me. And Jesus desperately longs for us. Just let it go. Let it go. It doesn't need to define you anymore. It doesn't need to define you anymore. I have set you free. I have forgiven those sins. I have chosen you. His name is Tim Kane. Tim uh, grew up in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Tim's same age as my youngest brother, David. In fact, they were in class together. They went to school together. They played Pop Warner football together. When we would have big football games on the softball field right next to our house, between our house and the church, growing up, Tim and his brother were there. Tim was in my living room from time to time, our living room, 
from time to time. He was, you know, part of the, part of the gang, part of the neighborhood. Smart kid, nice kid, respectful kid. Smart intellectually, I should say. But like a lot of kids in their adolescence, longed for acceptance, longed to belong. And when Tim was 14, he started hanging out with some kids in the neighborhood that were, well, to put it mildly, were not a good influence, were not a good impact on his life. And uh, as I said, when he was 14 years old, one night, he, uh, he rode his bike to a friend's house to play video games. This was 1992. And uh, when he got there, a couple of kids from the neighborhood, Bobby, who was 17 at the time, Alvin, who was 19, I knew those guys too, they were there. And uh, they started to plan to break into a house to rob it. And they said, come on, Tim, come with us, come with us. So Tim, in one of the dumbest decisions of his life, decided to go with them, believing the house was empty. When they broke in, I think Alvin and Bobby knew it wasn't empty, they encountered the older woman there who lived there with her son. And they executed him. With Tim hiding under a table. Alvin and Bobby killed these two people. Tim, though he never held a weapon, though he never inflicted any harm, was, was there. And as a 14-year-old kid, he was sentenced to consecutive life sentences entire life with no opportunity for parole until after he had served 25 years. He rode his bike to a friend's house to play video games and it's the last day he's tasted freedom. In his years in prison, Tim has been a model prisoner. Not one disciplinary record has been, uh, has worked with the chaplain has been a part of prison fellowship. And over the years, a group began to take up his cause, to believe that his sentence was too harsh considering his role in the crimes. Interestingly enough, one of those who took up that cause was one of the prosecuting attorneys in his case. A second was one of the circuit judges who was powerless to, to do anything but honor the, the required guidelines. And others have gotten involved, and they, uh, they kind of took up the case. Earlier this year, it was, it was determined that they would grant Tim parole in the year 2027, 10 years. The fight continued, and long story short, uh, Tim was granted parole beginning next month. In February of this year, Tim will walk out with a freedom that he hasn't known since he was 14. And we'll begin the process of transitioning back into society. He will literally know what it's like for those chains that have bound him for 25 years to be freed. But I contend this is the second taste of freedom for Tim. Because while in prison, he came to know Jesus. While in prison, Tim came to know Jesus. And I want you to hear what he says in his own words, and not mine, when he, a number of years ago, was interviewed. Give me a minute, let me get to it. And this is what he said. 
they, they talked about the fact that every morning he gets up at five and he reads his Bible. Every night he joins with Christians there and where, he is, where he's an inmate and, and for fellowship. And this is what he said. He says, I'd rather not be here, of course, but I believe prison has made me a better person, has made me realize that my choices had consequences. He says, I'm better off because of it. Without prison, I don't think I would have come to the realization that life is bigger than me. Everything would still be focused on me. I really feel like God is bigger than my situation. He goes on to say, I think, he, said, oh my God, he goes on to say, I got what I deserved. I did wrong things. But I like to think, I like to hope that someone, even someone like me, can be changed. That someone, someone even like me, can be changed. That's the freedom that Jesus offers. See, Tim's going to walk out next month and he's going to know freedom. But the day that he met Jesus was the day that he knew freedom. It was the day that he knew that he, even him, was chosen and he was forgiven and he was marked with a new identity. That's the kind of freedom we have. Now, our story isn't Tim's. Our baggage isn't Tim's. Our chains aren't Tim's but we have them nonetheless. But hear me say, remember, you are chosen, you are forgiven, and you are set free. Amen? And let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the promise that you give us in Christ. The hope that we have that redefines who we are, that gives us a new identity, that frees the chains that bind us, just like Peter's chains were freed from him that night in that prison. Help us to claim that promise, to let go of those chains, and to know the joy of being chosen, of being forgiven, and being set free. We claim it in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.